Happy Hope Day, everyone, and welcome back to Life Works Better with Coach Mel and, and Hostess Clarissa. Me. You <laughs> <laughs> know it's a great day today. Ball is in the air. Yes. It's here, Coach. I don't know how I feel about it. Well, I'll tell you uh, how you could feel about it. Okay. Okay. Tell me. I have this theory okay. about the development of civilizations and changing of the seasons. Okay. There are a few exceptions to this rule All right. that civilizations through the history of mankind have developed more extensively and, oh, that they're, they're loving what I'm about to say. Oh, yeah. They're just so full of faith that they don't know exactly what I'm going to say, but they're, they're applauding all, already. They're always team Melody Joe. Okay, so there's something about uh, a changing of the season that caused groups of people to have to make some adjustments in order to get ready for those changes. Mm-hmm. And so that then, and then as that was repeated time and time again, that, okay, here, here comes fall, now here's winter again, and we didn't do very well last time, so this time we need to make some changes, and the same with summer and all that. Uh, and in those times where there were um, predictable mm-hmm. seasonal changes, and it didn't have to necessarily be weather. It could be in, uh, like along the Nile River, it could be the seasonal change of the water, the rising of the water, right, right. which was directly the result of seasonal changes of the snow in the mountains of uh, Central Africa melting and then causing the Nile River to flood. Mm-hmm. So... Those places developed civilization, uh, developed more of them, more quickly, and uh, in greater depth. So I want to just kind of give a little uh, tidbit here of an appetizer for a yet-to-come series about science and what we learn from science that we can apply to our knowledge of the kingdom and that when seasons change, it is a good time for us as individuals to, uh, to make a change in some way because it, it's in the rhythm of nature. And so it, it's kind of like uh, jumping rope. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you need to kind of get in rhythm with what's already going. Right, and, and so, jump in. Yeah, so I want to encourage our listeners that whatever it is that – that you have been putting off making a change or saying, okay, I'm going to start something different or I'm going to stop something or start something. Okay, whatever that is, the, the month of October is a time to do it, right. uh, especially in, in the temperate zone here mm-hmm. in the U.S. Uh, so I just that's just a little word to the wise, yes. that and, to and get to in sync that. with the seasons. Just layer up. I, I um, Layer up. <laughs> I have to layer up, Coach. I, I'm just going straight natural and – and it's just when I get cold, I'm different from a lot of people. So when <laughs> I get cold, I get very sleepy. Mm. And uh, and I'm just ready to go to sleep. Okay. Uh, Chris, wake up. Yes. Wake up. Okay. Okay. I didn't realize you were that cold here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm already. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm glad we're going to talk about some exciting things today then. Yes. Well, one exciting thing is our amazing sponsor. For Life Works, Principio Coffee and Tea. Yes. And even though I'm cold, 
I still delight in this amazing ice pumpkin spice latte. Yeah, that's yeah. I I, I kind of questioned Liz on that. She said, "No, take this. She'll oh, she'll good. like it." But I have my cover. I have a, a throw wrapped around me, and I'm about to sip some more. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I need to add to that that I'm having the same thing, only yes. the hot version here. Yeah, in and fall. It's the new flavors of the season with Principio. Oh. So pumpkin spice is a is an oldie but goodie. I always try to keep a little bit of that over in my carousel over there um, with my K-Cups. So we have that, and we have a couple more flavors this fall Yes, for uh, Principio. Yes, Liz said to direct people to the website. We have some additions there. Yes. And then we also enjoyed... Oh a bit of a, I looked at the I looked at the postmark on this box to see if maybe it came from heaven. I'm not real sure. Yeah. Uh, well, if it did, it, it's probably not going to have a postmark. It's at, just going to appear. Okay. Well, maybe that's why it has no postmark. <laughs> <laughs> it just appeared. But this is Liz's uh, newest mm, experiment. New invention. It's delightful. The oh. culinary delights. It's delightful. It is. Uh, Decadent hot chocolate, uh, dark chocolate, yes, with her own version of peanut butter mm-hmm. and a couple of uh, excellently roasted Principio coffee beans Man. in one bite. Melvito. You know, what I like about that candy, and I like chocolate, but I like a more of an authentic flavor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Liz has mastered that. And... In this particular chocolate, the way it's coupled together with everything, it tastes like milk chocolate. That's what I thought. When I asked her, I said, is that milk chocolate? No, it's dark chocolate. So, And I like that. I like dark chocolate. I eat it because it's healthy for you. Yes, it is Not necessarily that I like the taste over the milk chocolate. Yes. But you give me dark chocolate that tastes like milk chocolate, I'm in. And so there we are. We're here. And uh, and Liz also said that uh, check out the website, uh, the online store, because you can now order an assortment pack of Principio chocolate I bites. I saw that. Yes. That was so neat. I think she said someone ordered like several dozen yesterday. Yes. Uh, after tasting it. So it, it's, they're really good. <laughs> they are really good. Yes. And uh, also I want to say that I think next week mm-hmm. uh, we may have a special guest. Oh, how wonderful. Yes. It's a friend of mine here who is attempting to to do something in a category that we call business as mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I invited him uh, to uh, to come and, and just basically uh, tell his story. And then he'll be using uh, our podcast also just for some information for some of the people that he wants to get his story to. So Excellent. there we go. That's we be great. Yes, we have an opportunity to serve the, mm-hmm. the kingdom by helping other people tell their story because life works better with story. story. Yes, All right. And Looking forward to it. Yes, great. And speaking of which, we started last week on uh, one of the events. And what we're doing in this series, Clarissa, mm-hmm. is we're, we're looking at uh, probably 20 to 25 important dates and events mm-hmm. uh, since the beginning of the Ecclesia, since Jesus' time. Uh, 1900 years or so and uh, so we're, uh, we're we're looking at that uh, with just kind of uh, seeing the the events and the dates 
that were very important in terms of the continuation of the kingdom through the ecclesia and events that shaped even the way we are today. Now, not everything that happened 2,000 years ago or 1,500,000 years ago uh, made a lot of difference. Mm -hmm. But there are several things that did make a lot of difference, and that's what we're focusing on. So that we, so that we can understand uh, better our roots, and as we get better connected to our roots, then it will certainly allow us an opportunity to produce more fruits. And because the connection there, and I, I would like to see the uh, Life Works Better with uh, series here of all this, like the trunk of the tree, to take from the roots to the limbs out where there the fruit is. And so we want, we want the people who are listening, we want to equip them. We want them to feel nourished yes. and supported, which is what a tree does mm-hmm. for the fruit. Mm-hmm. So uh, the one that we started looking at last week that we didn't finish with, but I'm determined to finish today. Yes. Because I was thinking when we started this that we may do two dates in uh, or two events per podcast and now we're taking two podcasts to do one one yes. but anyway so i have to do better because life is finite i mean even though we don't know exactly when it's gonna exactly become infinite <laughs> <laughs> i feel like god moves because that's what he's been doing with these podcasts it's been amazing yes it's been uh it's been really good to to have people mm-hmm. to uh hear their response yeah. to this and i, I I feel uh, privileged to, to be able to be involved in, in people's lives this way. Uh, have an opportunity to get here and talk about story. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what we're going to get to today is uh, a topic that has been difficult to put a specific date to. And it's something that we know happened, mm-hmm. and uh, but many times uh, believers uh, spend very little time or put put very little effort into finding out about this. And so basically the question that I want us to look at here is uh, why do we have the 27 books in our New Testament that we have? Who decided what? (laughs) Uh, And did somebody just say, okay, I'm going to take this one and this one and this one and put it all together and say, okay, here's a Bible. Uh, And we... Many times we, we don't give it any thought. But the Bible is, and the New Testament for Christians, is of utmost importance. Because Jesus came to, to, to introduce the kingdom. And then Paul came along to help show how that kingdom became uh, sustainable. So Jesus brought his story, his life, his questions, uh, most of all his sacrifice, what he said he came to do. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give his life a ransom for many, and he did that. And then that part of his earthly mission was over. But then God used the people that, that Jesus had interacted with, especially in his earthly ministry, but even in his post-ascension ministry, Jesus interacted with some, like especially the one uh, rabbi named Shaul, 
in English we call him Saul, whose name changed to Paul. <laughs> and Jesus had a post-resurrection interaction with, <laughs> with that Jewish rabbi. <laughs> and I just love it that two Jewish rabbis met on the Damascus Road. And, and, and the, the, the story changed considerably. And we talked about that. So if anyone's listened to this and have, hasn't heard that one about Rabbi Shaul, then I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. So then people started writing things down, and Paul started writing letters, and then other disciples of Jesus wrote some letters. And, uh, you know, there, there were probably hundreds, if not thousands, of letters or fragments of letters that went around um, the first couple of centuries around uh, in the Roman world. And some of them, uh, some of them had uh, an apostle's name to it. And, but you know, it, it, you, you didn't have a, a copyright office <laughs> mm-hmm. in Rome that would make sure that everyone who said that they wrote something really did or they didn't take it from someone else. Right. And so how, how did we get our New Testament? How was it determined? Okay, so I want to I want to jump right into this, uh, and and say how it was determined over a period of centuries. It wasn't until uh, the date we're looking at today, in 367 A.D. It wasn't until then that that we had a definitive statement where uh, a recognized church leader in Alexandria, uh, not Virginia, but in Alexandria, Egypt. <laughs> When he said, "Okay, these these are the books that uh, that are generally considered to have been inspired by Holy Spirit." Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, wh- what would bring a church leader? By the way, his name was Athanasius, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a, a a leader, a recognized leader, and he was a leader that came up the way that people, uh, what we would call him, a grassroots leader. And uh, you remember we talked about uh, the teen years of the church, and it was kind of some difficult times for the ecclesia to navigate. But the teen years, beginning with Constantine and, and going through Augustine, which was a period of about 125 years. So we're in the middle of that. So Constantine has come along, and he's, he's changed the environment because he's legalized Christianity. And then he started telling... Uh, the church leaders, how they needed to act. <laughs> now, this is interesting. Anyone from whom I accept my freedom can also take it away. And so when Christians, believers were all excited, oh, everything's fine now because we, we no longer, we're not going to be persecuted. And as a matter of fact, the emperor is going is to pay me to, to lead this church. Well, that was the, the first session, uh, first chapter of the uh, joining of church and state. And that never turns out good in the long run. And the reason is, is because uh, the state represents uh, specifically an earthly kingdom, whereas the ecclesia represents a heavenly kingdom. And they have, they have two different... Uh, Two different uh, motivations many times. So Constantine came along and he said, okay, I'll give you your freedom, but you can only keep your freedom if you do what I say. (laughs) 
And so he started telling people uh, uh, that, uh, like church leaders, that would have been recognized by the people, not necessarily appointed by him, but recognized by the people. Then he held the final veto as to whether or not, not, not that person could continue to be in charge there. He was okay with them rising from the ranks, which is the way uh, that's organic for someone to exhibit leadership uh, ability and then to prove himself or herself as a leader of, of actually being there for the good of the people and for the furtherance of the kingdom of God on earth, and then for that to be recognized, and that's, that's the New Testament pattern. And all of a sudden with Constantine, that switched, and authority came like government from the top down. So that, that Constantine said, okay, uh, you're recognized by the people, Athanasius, to be a leader in the church in Alexandria, but if you don't do what I tell you, you can't stay in that position. And as a matter of fact, he was exiled on four different occasions because he did not go along with what the emperor wanted him to do. <laughs> uh, he outlived the emperor by a few decades, but uh, he, even, he even ran amok with some of the other uh, emperors that came along after Constantine. So here all of a sudden we start seeing this. So it, it, it's a subtle shift. Prior to Constantine, the Roman Empire many times was at, was at odds with the church and persecuted them. Then after Constantine, the emperors and the government were still at odds with the church, but it's because they would not let, they, they wanted to still control the church. So here again, the whole idea behind the kingdom of man and an earthly kingdom is that uh, there's, they're always wanting to control what God's trying to do. <laughs> and so all these things about how great it is when, uh, when we don't have persecution well, yeah, but the, uh, but the enemy has more subtle ways to, to attempt control over uh, the ecclesia. And I will say this. No government organization or no government institution is ever truly able to control the ecclesia. They can only control the church. Remember, we're making that distinction. That's right. The ecclesia is, is, is always from within, and it's organic. And it's those called out ones, those that have recognized the voice of a shepherd and have surrendered something in order to become a follower of that shepherd. The church, the Greek word kurikos, uh, is, uh, is, is more of, a, of an organization, and it, it includes property, just as, as any inst earthly institution has it, it it's people and property and so the kurikos which we get our english word kirk or church from uh is uh, is more easily controlled but in a subtle way <laughs> so athanasius comes along and one of the more important things that he did which was almost just a almost a footnote in one of the uh, one of the letters that he that he shared, and he, he he sent out writings. Like I said, there were thousands of writings around, and he was a recognized church leader. And they would usually, you know, give their opinion, or they would uh, they would write some of their sermons actually, and and publish some of their sermons. But in in three sixty seven A D, Athanasius mentioned something like, uh, "We as church leaders." in and around Alexandria and in extended areas around the Mediterranean, around the empire, we've recognized that there are particular letters and books, writings, that are being circulated 
that uh, that tend to be different than all the others. So we say, well, how so? Well, one of the first things that uh, that the early church leaders looked for was who wrote this letter, who wrote this book, and if the author was was uh, beyond reasonable doubt established, and that person was one of the original disciples or Paul, someone that had recognized authority, then it was considered to be inspired. So authorship was the first one. And the second one was, what does it, what does it feel like when you read it? Because the Word of God is, is living water. The Word of God is, is food. It's food for the soul. So uh, it, it's kind of like uh, reading uh, 1 Corinthians 13 about love and then reading a love story <laughs> uh, that, that there's something there's something about 1 Corinthians 13 and you know I uh I, I really love the opportunity in my life that I've had to have what we would call missionary experience and I remember one time in uh in central Mexico when I had the opportunity uh to be in the presence of a young man, uh, he was Mexican, uh, he was a doctor, and uh, he spoke seven languages. Wow. He, he got his medical degree in Europe, and he spoke fluently seven languages. And he had never read the Bible. He was totally secular, and uh, he was raised in a religious family, right. and he went to church some, when he was a child, but as soon as he got to be a teenager, he quit doing that. But he had never read the Bible. And I was really surprised about that. And he said, he said, really, what is it about this book? He said, I, he said, I hear more people talking about it uh, just kind of in a, in, a, in a general way. He said, if, if, that's really, if that is a book really that God wrote, why is it more important to people? <laughs> okay, that's a good question. Uh, his name was George, uh, Dr. George, we called him. <laughs> he was in his late 20s at the time, by the way. And so uh, when I found out he'd never read the Bible, we sat down. And, uh, of course, he could have read it in seven different languages, mm -hmm. but we had Spanish and English there. <laughs> and so I had him read 1 Corinthians 13, Clarissa. And before he finished reading that chapter, he was in tears. And he said, Melbito, <laughs> no human being wrote this, wrote mm. these words. <laughs> and, and then he said, then he, it really just lit a fire in him. And so then we turned to other, uh, we turned to Psalm 23. Uh, we turned to Psalm 1. Uh, we went to, uh, we turned to Hebrews 11. And, he, and in tears, and he'd have to wipe the tears away as he read, and, and it just really lit a fire in him. And it was, it was one of the more exciting times yeah. about being a missionary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what Athanasius was talking about. Mm -hmm. What happens? What does it do to us when we read it? How does it feel? Does it feed our soul? Does it feed our spirit? Wow. And then there was a third one. Athanasius said, okay, what happens when you read this aloud to a public gathering? Mm 
how does it how does it land on them? So they're not reading, they're just hearing it. So when people hear these words, how does it affect them? And uh, so they they took uh, some of the other letters and other books that had been written at this time that uh, that claimed to have been inspired and and had some teachings that were a bit different, uh, obviously. And so they, they would read it, and then and people were like, uh, it, it, just, it just didn't land the same. Right. It didn't have the same effect on people when it was read, and especially when it was preached and when it was taught. So that the deeper a person went into it, <laughs> in an attempt to explain it, it seemed like Holy Spirit was there to make even more clear what he had communicated the first time in, in writing. <laughs> so authorship its effect on someone when they read it personally, and then its effect on a group when they hear it read and preached and taught. And so uh, in 367, so we're talking like 200 years after the, 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 the lives of the apostles. And so a lot of these things had been written and read and preached and taught and copied and recopied uh, many times. And so here it is, and the 27 books that he says, okay, these are the ones that seem to have the, the greatest effect when I read it and when I preach it and when I teach it. Mm. And he said, those 27 books are these, and they're exactly the 27 books that we have in our New Testament. Now, there were some people after that that uh, attempted to add to it mm-hmm. and, uh, and some that wanted to take some away. But, but those continually went back. Now, now this, uh, the first list that we have together was probably 50 years prior to this mm-hmm. where someone had, a church leader had suggested uh, that, that these 27 books, you know, that there's something different about these, they said. Right. But they didn't, make that, uh, they didn't make that announcement, that pronouncement. As a recognized uh, leader of the ecclesia at large, as Athanasius was, and uh, having had several uh, decades of that list going around among the leadership and among the people, then for Athanasius to say, okay, this is it. As a matter of fact, he was, he was so sure about that. He says, there is no reason for anyone ever to try to add anything to these 27 books. And beware anyone that would want to take anything away from these 27 books. So he felt like, as a consensus, and I, I, I get some uh, I get some assurance about that, right? Because here again, we're talking about the ecclesia decided what books go in the New Testament. <laughs> it wasn't that that uh, Constantine or a pope said, "Okay, these are the ones that I'm going to declare inspired." Right. No, it was it was done the uh, in a, in a very organic way. It was done the way Jesus did ministry. And it was done in a way that was proven over a period of time. Hmm. So when we open up our New Testament, uh, it's, uh, there, there's a, an amazing amount of uh, st- amazing story just within that. And so as a, I just want to encourage our listeners, uh, as you, especially as you read the New Testament, just know that those were words that have been read for, for millennia. The, yeah. Those are words that that have that have carried people through uh, 
all the way to giving the ultimate sacrifice, their very life. They, they, they place their life, their physical existence on that. And there, there have been people that, uh, that just grabbed a hold of, of, a, uh, of a truth that was within that New Testament, and they literally changed the world again. And that person I'm talking about is the reformer Martin Luther. Martin Luther in, in, the seven, in the 1500s. We'll get to him a little later on in the story. But uh, there was something about, uh, about the uh, Romans chapter 1 that just grabbed this hungry soul of this priest that had turned a professor. And, and, and what Athanasius had talked about, and I just kind of feel the Holy Ghost chills on this one. What Athanasius had talked about when he said, yes, the book of Romans must be in this list because when I read it, I hear heaven ringing. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and, 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 and sure enough, uh, 1,200 years later, this, this priest comes along and he, he reads those words and it not only changes his life, but it's changed Western civilization and changed history and has changed the opportunity for each of us to become part of the story of the Ecclesia, and that is rooted in the New Testament. Man, that was a lot. It was. But it gives you a better understanding because people, you think about people talking about other books that never made it to the King James Version. Yeah. Um, there's always questions swarming around and, and mm-hmm. why didn't it? And, you know, they're more than just this. And you gave a very good, beautiful layout uh, as to why these particular 27 made it to the book that we call the Bible. Yes. And and you said it is orchestrated by the Ecclesia, which makes a big difference. Yes. I love and it. and I, I might just add for one more thing here as we go out with the music blaring here. Yes. Uh, that uh, if so if something did come along and it would seem like, hey, this is really this should be in, in the scripture. Okay. Uh, what was so complete about that twenty seven is that if it agree if something's written down and it agrees with it then, then why do we need it if it agrees with everything? Mm-hmm. If it disagrees with it, we certainly don't need it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So those 27 books were set. So let's go feed our soul. Let's go do it, guys. As let's, the Ecclesia. I love it. Yes. I love it. And, you know, um, uh, Coach, I don't know if the listening group is open to the public on Sundays, but, you know, you can do a, even a deeper dive from this series at the listening group on Sundays. Yes, and 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 we're going to take we'll take a session here and talk about listening groups. Yeah, as to what's happening that. with listening groups mm-hmm. in different parts of the world and what's going on here locally and how someone could be uh, a vibrant fruit of the story of the ecclesia mm-hmm. by leading your own listening group. From the scriptures. It'll be great. Yes. All right, guys, look, we look forward to seeing you back here next week. This is great stuff, guys. Go back and listen to this again. Get your notebook out, your pen, your pad, and start writing some things down. And now, when you go back to read the New Testament, you'll have a better appreciation about what you're reading. So, Coach, thanks for this today. This is wonderful. I love it. All right. See you next week.